Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Implant Games Podcast. I am your host, Chris Genthy, and I have a great show lined up for you today. So let's go ahead and get started with, uh, let's back up a little bit. So um, I've been doing this show on Sunday mornings uh, for the last, since January, only missed one uh, due to some issues, but for the rest of the summer, I'm going to move this to Tuesday evening. Um, and the reason why is because the weather's getting better here in Wisconsin, and I live out in the country now, and taking up that big four-hour block of time during my Sunday um, kind of eats up a lot of the weekend. So I'm going to shuffle things around a bit. So lately, I have been doing videos um, on Sunday, Wednesday, and Saturday. I'm going to change that to Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, shuffle things around, and I think that will help uh, video production go a bit more smooth uh, here during the summer. Uh, during the summer months. So, um, hope you stick around for Tuesday. Hope that doesn't mess with your week. Um, but now, let's go ahead and get started with the news. Um, so, yesterday, actually, uh, Mighty Number no. 9 got a release date, which will be June 21st, coming up here in about a month and a half. So, we talked about Mighty Number no. 9 getting delayed quite a bit, most recently uh, getting delayed again at the beginning of February. The game was originally supposed to come out in April of 20. 2015. So that's over a year ago this game was supposed to come out. And we all know, uh, I think it was three years ago, it was uh, it raised $4 million on Kickstarter. So as the release dates have come and gone, uh, fans, of course, always, uh, well, people complain because that's what people do. Um, but I kind of feel like in this case, uh, it's rightfully so. Um, the, the deal you make with somebody on Kickstarter is you accept their money uh, for a product that isn't finished um, or doesn't exist yet. Um, so with Mighty Number no. 9, obviously the project was started. He, um, in Fune, in a Fune, the guy that made the Mega Man games, um, obviously said, this is what we want your money for. This is our time frame. This is how we're going to release it. And uh, when you kind of take $4 million from people, and then kind of don't deliver on what you say you're going to do, uh, there is some room to be upset and to be angry. Uh, me personally, I've never supported, um, not that there, I won't ever, I don't have a problem with Kickstarter, I think it's a great model, but, you know, if you are going to take people's money, I think you kind of need to set realistic expectations. Um, this is a guy that's made a lot of Mega Man games over the last uh, three decades, should know how to run a project, should know how to run a team. And uh, the people that did pay all of that money to, to have the access to that game, to fund that game, um, you know, that sequel that they've been looking for for so long, I think deserve to be upset. So really now, uh, June comes, uh, it will be really interesting interesting. Is Mighty Number no. 9 going to live up to the hype? Um, obviously, Mega Man has a ton of fans. I'm still buying Mega Man games. Um, I just bought Mega Man Extreme on the Game Boy Color, along with Mega Man and Base on the Game Boy Advance. Um, so I've been playing those for the last few weeks. Um, anytime I see a Mega Man game for a reasonable price, I always grab it because it's such a wonderful series. Um, so we'll see if Mighty Number no. 9 can capture that magic and kind of erase, you know, all of that kind of uh, ill will they've created uh, for being kind of quiet and being kind of pokey and kind of offering lame excuses like issues with network code on a game that doesn't really need network code. Um, but this actually just happened yesterday. Uh, it's going to have a release date. The game is finished June 21st, 2016. So um, I hope it's amazing. Uh, I'll be real disappointed um, if it just doesn't live up to the height. Obviously, 
Uh, Inafune is a brilliant game designer. Uh, the level structure, the gameplay mechanics in um, the, the the regular Nintendo and Super Nintendo Mega Man games are, are just phenomenal, just light years above anything else. And I'd be curious if they're able to kind of capture that magic that made those that made those games so special. But June twenty first delayed, um, and you know here we are, thirteen months after it was originally supposed to come out. So that's very exciting. The other piece of exciting official news is the Nintendo NX, the next Nintendo system, um, is going to be coming out in March of. 2017 so less than a year away so clearly nintendo has been you know working on this for years like you would expect uh, all of the big three to be doing uh, but they're going to be the first with a release date um which kind of you know makes you wonder if the the next couple of the next system from microsoft might you know be coming out uh, a little sooner than they expect um but the the weirdest thing about a march date is that it kind of misses the holiday season so specifically in video games that september october november range has traditionally you know kind of been the sweet spot you know you get that system out there you get the bugs worked out you get systems into you know stores into the the channels um so that when christmas comes around your product is available there when everybody is in america at least is spending a ton of money um, so what I did is kind of, I went through and looked at what other systems kind of launched in that spring to summer window, uh, what consoles and systems came out before, you know, that fall to, to holiday launch. Um, so the first one is the game gear, which came out in, these are all us dates. I believe, I hope, uh, the first one is the game gear, which came out in April of 1991. Um, obviously the Game Gear didn't make much of a dent, uh, into Game Boy sales, but the Game Gear certainly has its fans. It's a great, I don't know why the camera's doing that. I have a storm rolling in here, so the light keeps changing and this camera kind of sucks as it is. So for those of you watching, I apologize. Um, so the Game Gear came, uh, reasonably successful, um, lasted through 1996, um, but did not, wasn't a huge success. Uh, the next system, also Sega, uh, would have been the Sega Saturn with their surprise launch in May of 1995. Um, not only was the surprise uh, a bad idea because not every retailer had access to the Sega Saturn, um, it also happened in May. Um, again, missing that holiday window completely. We all know what happens then. The PlayStation in America comes out in September, uh, owns the holiday, and yeah, the rest is history, isn't it? Uh, the next system going out a little farther is going to be the Game Boy Advance in June of 2001. Uh, Game Boy Advance uh, went on to have a very healthy, successful uh, lifespan. Again, I just mentioned I'm still playing it, Mega Man and Bass. Uh, a lot of my favorite 16-bit games happen to be on the Game Boy Advance. Um, to me, the Game Boy Advance is really awesome because it kind of extended the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. A lot of games on both of those systems either got ported, remade, or sequels uh, that lived on uh, through the Game Boy Advance, like Metal Slug Advance. Um, I don't know why I wanted to mention that. I just really enjoy that game. But I did a whole video on it, and you should check it out. So again, the June date didn't hurt the sales of that system at all. Uh, the Nintendo 3DS uh, launched in March of 2011. Um, that did struggle for quite a while uh, before I'm sure a Pokemon game came out and then everything went back to normal. But again, um, launched at a weird time, March, maybe tax returns in the US, people have more income. 
Uh, most people, I think, you know, buy refrigerators or cars or pay off credit card debt. I'm not sure if a lot of that kind of boost, if it is even a lot, I guess, um, is really used for spending money on kids. Weird story, though. That is how I got my Sega Genesis. Um, I think it was the spring of 1996 um with uh, tax returns um we got to go to the store and pick out a system and the super nintendo i believe at the time was 99.99 and the genesis was 89.99 and because it was ten dollars cheaper and we could get a genesis and a game we went with the sega genesis and the rest is history how crazy is that and then february 2012 the playstation vita again i don't know if all of these dates are Japanese, American, European, I guess it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that plenty of systems have launched in the spring. Um, things like the 3DS and Vita kind of didn't do so hot. Other things did just fine, like the Game Boy Advance, and to a lesser extent, the Game Gear. Uh, there has been speculation on some launch titles for the NX, Zelda games getting delayed, this getting pushed back, simultaneous releases. Kind of had a hard time sifting through what was speculation and what was news. I'm not that interested on um, trying to report something as news if it isn't. I'm not that interested in providing wrong information or speculating on wrong information. So I'm usually pretty reserved when it comes to reporting on things. Um, so like the, the Turbo HD April Fool's prank, I did not talk about until it was confirmed it wasn't real for that very reason. So um, that's what it is going to come down to that's what everything that we've talked about since january comes down to whether it's the next nintendo whether it's the playstation neo whether it's virtual reality whether it's the consoles that don't exist like the chameleon or the dreamcast 2 um, the hardware is interesting and okay but what really matters is the games um, and nintendo's next console uh, is going to be dependent on the games we look at some things that were really popular and exciting when they came out, like uh, the Wii had the, the Wii Sports, which was a huge hit, and that's why people bought the Wii. You look at the Nintendo 64 launch lineup of two or three games, but one of them was Super Mario 64, which was an epic game, and that sells systems. We look at the GameCube with Luigi's Mansion, not as exciting, and that launch wasn't as successful as a lot of other systems because it was missing that killer app. You know, the Xbox had Halo. That's what, you know, made that entire business for Microsoft. So Nintendo really needs a, you know, a Zelda game, a Mario game, and maybe a couple other first party games that, you know, people will attach onto that. Oh, I've played, you know, Mario NX. Oh, I might as well get, you know, the, the, the Kirby game as well. That's what it's all going to come down to. Um, I have a feeling Nintendo's not going to screw up the next Nintendo system. Um, they know how to make a system. They know how to launch a system. Obviously, their Game Boy and I guess now you would call it the DS series of handhelds, they've had wild success in that field and nobody else could. Like, Nintendo has that secret sauce. So I fully expect them, despite a weird launch date, to do the right thing, to have the right software, and to, to really knock it out of the park. But I guess we'll find out in a year. All right, the next thing I'm going to talk about is going to be a comment from Simbin, who says 4K gaming on a $400 console just isn't possible today. Even a $1,500 gaming PC can struggle with some of the most demanding games at 4K. Uh, so this was in response to my disappointment that the PlayStation Neo, the PlayStation 4.5, um, that upgraded PlayStation system where all games starting in October have to, 
have to support the new hardware in this system won't be running in 4K. Um, obviously, 4K would require... Let's just make it simple. It's not this simple, but 4K is essentially you know four times HD, twice the height, twice the width. That gives you four times the graphic fidelity. So having the power to, um, you know, do that extra math, uh, the RAM, you know, for all those extra textures, the frame buffers, all of that from start to finish, um, is not going to be easy. And like Simbin says, if they can't do it on a $1,500 gaming PC, how can you do it on a console? That's probably true. I don't disagree with it at all. Um, I think game consoles kind of have a history of being uh, significantly cheaper than PCs. So if you look at like the Genesis and Super Nintendo days, it would take a significantly, you know, something that could be done on the Genesis or Super Nintendo to do that like on a DOS gaming rig back in the mid 90s would have costed exponent, is costed a word? Would have cost exponentially more money to do. So that's kind of always been the thing. You can cut out the Windows or the Mac OS. You can cut off a lot of things and have all those cycles, you know, meant for filling out 4K worth of pixels. Um, but perhaps that's too much of a, of a reach for that type of fidelity. I'm not sure. Um, without having 4K support, um, the thought of all games running in 1080p at 60 frames per second just isn't worth the four or five hundred dollars it's going to cost. Um, if I'm sitting, you know, X amount of feet away from my TV, so in this case, like 12 feet or 10 feet or something, like I'm not going to see the difference between 900p and 1080p. Um, it just isn't worth it. So it'll be real interesting. Um, next month will be, or this month, I guess. I don't know. E3 has always been in May. So I guess I just take it for granted that that's when it's going to happen. So E3 is going to happen. And then, you know, the big three are going to have their own events around the same time, but it should be really exciting to see what Microsoft, PlayStation, and Nintendo do with their next systems. Um, it sounds like they're all going in different directions. And that's really exciting because that hasn't happened in a long time. You know, the, the Xbox and the PlayStation have kind of been the same for the last couple of generations. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, who wins, who's right. And uh, more importantly, what games, you know, where is that going to head? Because that's what it all comes down to. Um, last week, I also talked about a service on the Xbox um what did we bring this up the the sega thing on the on steam i've already forgotten that i don't have last week's notes ahead of me um but sega announced damn it i'm gonna have to look it up mega drive classics hub where they said it would be supporting the steam workshop for mods and uh, they didn't say what that meant i was kind of afraid that that meant you could share the different changes you make to your game room but it seems like they're allowing full sharing of mods of old Sonic games and you can do this officially through Steam without Sega like yelling at you and screaming copyright infringement you're sharing but like they just they let you do it which is pretty awesome um, but the old Xbox thing that was kind of similar um, was called Game Room um, and this comes from PinMike8666 the Xbox app was Game Room it's cool they got some unknown Konami games like uh, Dentana, Twinbee and Batlanis I'm saying that wrong Battle and Addis? I'm not sure. But anyway, people did use the service, and it was kind of a similar thing minus the sharing, but that's what it was called. It was called the Game Room. So thank you very much for the correction. Um, the next news story I want to talk about, again, uh, was Classic Game Room. Um, so this whole topic is really what 
This whole topic is really what launched uh, this podcast back into existence and in the current format that it is in. Um, so at the beginning or the end of last year, Classic Game Room was going to shut down. His fans said, no, we want to support you. Look into this Patreon thing. Uh, it seems Mark over there uh, looked into Patreon, set out uh, a budget, a plan. He wanted needed $10,000 a month to keep the show going. Uh, he got there and the show exists now. So I don't support Classic Game Room, so I'm not sure what kind of perks or what other things he's doing, but he got what he needed. Uh, the fan spoke and the show is going. He did just do an update a few days ago, basically saying that the show's going to run through 2016. But after that, uh, Classic Game Room is back in limbo. Uh, what has slowly happened over the last month is he went from about $11,000 a month um, to around $9,300 a month. So his Patreon has kind of lost almost 10% or over a little over 10% of its value in a very short amount of time. Um, so it seems he's going to keep the show going, but he can't. What am I trying to say? It might die again. Um, this, what I find really weird about the whole classic game room uh, this took off classic game room is a great show and i still watch it like um what did he just do he just did um a pole position on the atari 400 or the atari xe and whenever i see him review an old 80s game like that i always watch it because i know i'm going to be entertained for five minutes and i know i'm going to see a game that i know nothing about i've never played on an atari computer in my entire life and i love when people make quick entertaining uh, somewhat informative videos like that. Like, that's what appeals to me. Um, so I watch that. He does a ton of other videos that don't really seem to be targeting me at all. Some two-minute show called Who Defeats. God only knows what that is. Um, his drawing shows I've watched a few times, but, you know, I'm just not that interested. That's not... Uh, there's a market for that. There's a market for people drawing and doing art and, you know, playing guitar and things like that. It's just not... I'm not... That's not what appeals to me, and I don't watch it. Um, but where was I going with this? So Mark was one of the very first people to to really take YouTube by storm in the, the classic retro gaming kind of circle. And the reason why is because he was one of the first. Um, if you watch some of his videos from 2008, they're not that great. They're not that well produced. Um, but they are entertaining, and you, you can kind of see how the show would evolve to where it is today. Um, and then YouTube in sometime in 2012 and 2013, uh, changed the way they feed us videos. Um, so before it was all about that cover art and the cover art would get you clicks. And the more clicks you got, the more YouTube would say, Oh, people are clicking on this. Let's show more people. And that's kind of how it worked. Um, so Mark was one of the very first being first is always really important. Um, he was one of the first doing this way back in 2008. And because he had this massive library of old games, you know, he kind of owned that market. Um, people would see an old picture of a 2600 and they would click on the video because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to watch a video of somebody playing the Atari 2600? Um, and then in 2012, 2013, YouTube basically flipped a switch and basically said, we no longer care about clicks. Now we care about retention. Um, YouTube's goal is to keep you on YouTube for as many minutes and hours as possible. Um, so when I make my videos, I'm always paying attention to retention. Like this show will get a fraction of the views that my other, my other shows will get. On the flip side, two thirds of you are listening to this like a traditional podcast, uh, you know, through an RSS feeder. 
um, through your iPod or your iPhone, or I'm going to have to get this on Google Play and not miss out on that boat. Um, but I know what type of videos are going to get the most watches, and I know how to make them and keep them flowing in a way to keep people watching them. Hopefully, if they hit the end of the video, YouTube streams up the next one. And it's really easy to see when a video does exactly what YouTube wants, and all of a sudden, I have a huge spike in views. And it's pretty easy to see when I fail and people don't make it through the video, don't watch the next video and that retention is gone. They've watched one video, didn't like it and moved on. Um, so I stopped last month. I'm sure some of you noticed I stopped doing reviews. Um, and this is all kind of related. So Mark went from about 20 million views a month, which is a huge, insane amount of money. I mean, we're talking probably $40,000 a month, at least. $40,000 a month, possibly even in the $50,000 range. If you're thinking all of those videos, $5 CPM, all of those videos are getting ads because that's what YouTube is telling people to watch, like an insane amount of money. And when they flip the switch to where retention matters instead of clicks, he dropped from about 20 million to 2 million views a month in just a couple of months. Like it tanked. The show basically died. Um, and at that point, you have to start recognizing that, okay, I have to change and evolve. Um, he posted something on his Patreon page, and you can kind of read the anger and frustration in his voice, and I totally get it. So he has 430,000 subscribers, which is, I mean, that's a lot. Like, the average person should be able to make a living with that amount of subscribers. But what you'll see is a lot of his videos only get a thousand views in the first few days, um, a couple thousand views in the first few days, and then every once in a while, 20,000 views in the first two days or three days. And as a content creator, you kind of have to, you have to recognize that. And while he's post is very complainy. Like, I don't want to do what YouTube wants me to do. I don't want to do what everyone else does. Why can't I do my own thing? Um, and the reason why is because the data speaks for itself. Um, all of what you need to know about what people want to watch, like, it's all there. Like, if you just pay attention. So I've trying to evolve my own show, my own channel, and what I'm trying to accomplish by paying attention to what you, the viewers, uh, watch and do, what you click on. Um, you know, what holds your retention? What makes you watch three or four of my videos in a, in a row? And, and stop trying to fight the system. I would love to, you know, review Atari games. I would love to, you know, do eight minute reviews on some obscure game that's mediocre or bad. But nobody wants to watch those videos. And if nobody wants to watch them, then what's the point of doing it? Um, I, I know there's the passion and the art and nothing else matters, but that is kind of what matters. Um, I, you know, I don't sing and make music because nobody would want to watch it. Um, so what's the point? You know, it kind of it, legacy. It's everything. What do you want to be remembered as? Um, so I honestly think if Mark doesn't kind of change and evolve and, and stop being angry at YouTube for, for screwing him and not allowing him to reach those 400,000 people, um, I think the show is going to die. He'll live on. He, you know, he's a great artist. He's 
he's hilarious. He's totally entertaining. There's a reason why he was so big for so many years. Um, but at some point, you kind of have to evolve. You know, there's a reason why none of us, you know, few of us, I can't say none. Somebody will be like, I do. You know, there's a reason why so few of us watch sitcoms anymore. Like a show like Seinfeld isn't going to happen anytime soon because we don't watch sitcoms. And if nobody is going to watch them, then what's the point of making it? Um, so I don't know why I brought that up. I, I read his comment and I kind of took it as a bit whiny, uh, which I thought was very weird. I would never... I would never complain or, or, you know, like I'm given a choice. 3,000 people have decided to hit subscribe and every month of, you know, a couple hundred more decide to. And, and I have this awesome opportunity to, to get in front of people and talk and people care what I have to say. And I, and I couldn't imagine complaining about that. Like, I don't get it. Um, so if you've noticed the show change and evolve, that's awesome. Some people think that I haven't changed and evolved and I'm still the same boring dude I was back in 2010 and that's fine too. Don't watch it. <sighs> All right. I was going to answer another question, um, but it, uh, I'm losing light here. There's a bad storm coming. Um, so let me go ahead and move. Oh, the question was, should I buy a Vectrex? And the answer is yes. If you ever have the opportunity to buy a Vectrex, you should absolutely buy a Vectrex. Um, it is sitting right here next to me. It is one of the most, it is by far the coolest video game system ever. Not the best, like the game library is limited and, you know, there are some other issues, um, but it is the coolest, like without a doubt. That Vector screen blew my mind. I saw this at Classic Game Room. I saw this at the Midwest Gaming Classic back in 2011, 2012. I'm sure I did a video about it and it like blew my mind. And when I had the opportunity, local game shop, uh, a couple local game shops, whenever they'll get something really cool, they'll, they'll post it on their Facebook, like, Hey, what, look what we got. Like I saw that picture and I went straight to the store and bought it. Like I could not pass it up. That's how awesome it is. There's some really awesome games. The nice thing about the Vectrex is it kind of has a lot of either arcade games or ripoff of arcade games and there's not that much crap on the system um so it's pretty easy to buy five or six games and you're set like it they're all awesome clean sweep one of my favorites pac-man clone and then scramble from konami <clears throat> uh, which is a really cool early um shmup for you know that's what it is and it's awesome and i love it um, we'll dive into that topic again some other time, but yes, the answer is if you ever have the opportunity to buy a Vectrex, you absolutely should. It's awesome. Um, so closing to the end, coming to the end of our show here, we have the cheap game segment. This is the segment of the show where we talk about two games I paid less than $5 for. One goes for more f than $5 today, and the other one is still less than $5. Um, so if you're getting into gaming or looking for something cheap to buy um, on a classic system, you don't have to spend more than 5 bucks. There's a ton of games out there. So we're going to start with $2.99. No, $3.99. This is the Steel Empire on the Sega Genesis. Um, this, I don't know what it goes for anymore. I looked it up, I wrote it on my list, and I've forgotten. I want to say around 20 or so. I'm not going to look it up. That's not what this show is about. Um, so, Steel Empire is a side-scrolling shoot-em-up on the Sega Genesis. It was also re-released on the Game Boy Advance. And I want to say it had a modern re-release. These guys that own the IP must still be around because they're still porting it and tweaking it and things like that. But it is a steampunk-themed 
Genesis shooter. And for one, it's just really awesome to play as a blimp. You can shoot in both directions. Uh, the difficulty actually isn't insane. Uh, usually I can sit down and play this and beat the final boss in a single sitting, uh, which for me is pretty not the norm for a shmup. I'm not that great at the genre. Um, but it's just a really awesome game not a lot of people talk about. Um, it seems to be coming up more and more. People really seem to be discovering this game and finding out how great it is. Um, but that is an awesome game. And if you ever have an opportunity to get that, you should definitely check it out. There's a couple levels that really... Uh, the Genesis obviously has a color palette issue, and depending on the talent of the developer creating the game, games on the Genesis can look kind of contrasty and not very good. Um, this game, there's a couple levels where like just the, the different pinks and hues that they got out of the Genesis combined with the parallax scrolling, it just looks sensational. Just a gorgeous game, really cool soundtrack, the steampunk theme is just awesome, and I love the game. Uh, the other game, let's see here. Three nine, or I got this for two ninety nine. What a! T I'm so bad at this. Uh, this is Sonic 3D Blast. So I got this complete in box. I think there's a manual. No manual. Not complete in box. I got this in a box uh, for three dollars. I imagine this has got to be fifteen years old. The sticker on this doesn't look familiar at all. Um, this is a game that I've played for a really long time. Uh, for most of my gaming life, people have hated Sonic 3D Blast with a passion. Now, I've done quite a few videos on Sonic 3D Blast because uh, I like the game, so I like to I like to share that different perspective. And it seems there's a lot of newer gamers and then like a lot of old fans um, that have always liked this and then are now talking about yeah you know I do like this and a lot of new gamers where uh, the simple collecting style gameplay um, appeals to them it kind of plays like a an extremely limited Lego game in a way where you need to defeat enemies collect things which unlocks the next area and you continue on your way I'm not sure if you guys can hear that but it's getting loud um, <laughs> so Sonic 3D Blast is still a $5 game loose on the Sega Genesis. If it's something that you haven't played before and you don't um and you kind of dig those like relaxed laid back games, this is kind of great. Uh the isometric levels actually play really good and it does feel like you are moving Sonic around in like a 3D-ish level. Obviously it's isometric so there isn't all that same freedom, but everything pretty much works. Something I always forget in this game is that one of the power-ups actually gives Sonic um I hope this is true. I've never tried it cuz I always forget it. Someone always leaves a comment saying if you get the yellow power-up um, which is a shield, of course, but it also gives you the homing attack. Um, and they say that this is the first appearance of a homing attack in a Sonic game. I always forget to try it just because it's a 2D Sonic game. So my first, you know, inkling isn't, hey, let me double press A and see what happens. You know, like when you play Sonic Adventure, you just instinctively know, ah, this is what I got to do. Um, so I'll have to, have to do some research on that. You know, plug it in and turn it on and see if that's what it does. But anyway, the music in this game is absolutely phenomenal. Two of the songs in this game were then remixed um, by the composer and used in Sonic Adventure. Like, that's how awesome the compositions in this game are. Um, I like this game all the way up until the final boss, which I think is really cheap and doesn't work well with the isometric gameplay. But if you haven't played Sonic 3D Blast and you are looking for something that's a little more casual, um, check it out fantastic so that is going to do it for today's episode um 
if you're watching this show. It's so weird doing this on a Tuesday because I'm used to I'm a I'm I'm a creature of like habit and routine and when my routine gets gets see I'm a creature of habit and when my routine gets disrupted I don't always deal the best with it so like right now it feels really weird to be doing like getting you know eight hours of work and then sitting in front of the computer and putting this all together and doing it feels really strange so I feel like I'm trying to rush through the show because I have other Tuesday things to do which is usually getting tomorrow's video all ready and set to go putting the finishing touches on the draft making sure I've got all the footage I need um, so it feels really weird um, so I don't know we're gonna do it for the rest of the summer. Well, it'll become routine. The show will go a little smoother, but I hope you enjoyed it, guys. If you're watching this on YouTube and want to um, have this like a normal MP3 or RSS feed, uh, the link is in the description below. If you are listening to this and want to see me, uh, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash implant games. And until next time, guys, have a great week.